And it all culminates in deep hurting. But we don't want to give too much away. You run along, Joe. Push the button, Frank. Sackick fakes it, takes it, scores! Joe Sackick! Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I apologize if you got headphones that may have been a little bit rip ears on the intro. Uh, I'm Steph Alice, you logged into the Mahi Hockey Podcast for December 5th, 2016. Coming up on the show, I've got a theory. Plus, we break down a week's worth of roster news and what in the world do the Avalanche do without Eric Johnson. But before we play the whoosh, as always, I have to introduce Earl06. What's up, Earl? Greetings. And Ryan Murphy. How's it going, Ryan? Howdy ho. I'm assuming it's been better all around, but let's uh, take some deep breaths. Abs lose to Nashville, Columbus, and Dallas in that order by a combined score of 11-5. to Miko Rantanen, Rene Bork, Mikhail Gregorenko, Blake Como, and Sam Henley, of all people, responsible for the Avs scoring. They and others responsible for the scoring against. So that was a week of hockey, quote-unquote. The five-game homestand, the Avalanche come away with exactly a point. Would you say that's good enough? 100 points percentage. Uh, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> this was a brutal road trip in which they had to play back-to-back-to-back-to-back every night? Yeah, they traveled to the Pepsi Center every day. Ah, that's what it was. <clears throat> it's the altitude. They, they couldn't handle the altitude. Right. Yep. Plus, you know, the traffic's been really bad in that area of town, I've heard. Oh, that's why they can't do anything in the first eight minutes. They haven't shown up at the rink yet. Ah, <sighs> your theory may be better than mine. <laughs> the avalanche are stuck in traffic. <laughs> it's that new parking garage, the Pepsi Center. Let's uh, ignore the results for a minute, and let's turn instead to some of the more interesting storylines from the week, which are, of course, the uh, call-ups from San Antonio. None of which were AJ Greer. We're told that was because he didn't do a whole lot over the weekend and a message is being sent yeah whatever um so um in the game against columbus we saw the return of gabriel bork and the debut of sam henley what did you guys think i liked both um sam didn't play much but he was pretty effective with that one shot he took <laughs> a blind whip that completely surprised the bob cop get you know, out of here man that was totally planned he aimed that thing <laughs> You know, I, I love it for Sam. He's a great guy. And, you know, that, that's if he never gets another NHL game, he's got that to fall back on. Um, but I did like Bork on the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something the Avs have struggled with mightily and that the Rampage are incredibly good at. So, um, you know, I, that, that's that's nice that it translates between leagues like that. So kudos to him. Right. I mean, that's about the only area of the hockey game where they actually did stand out to me the rest of the game they were what i would describe as inoffensive which is an improvement over some of our other fourth line options yeah yeah uh, apart from uh, apart from the goal that rocket league players like myself from san Hen- would recognize from san henley as calculated <laughs> um apart from that i feel like he played a you know effective enough a uh, fourth line role and that would be able to phase out in the very near future some of our other 
fourth line uh, dregs. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you you know if if you're thinking about calling guys up for those lower line roles, then you know it starts with Bork. But it's nice to know that if you need more guys, that there are guys like Henley and and even like Troy Burke or some other people down there that you can call up and. You know, what they've been doing as far as the PK down in San Antonio, A, works, and B, can translate to the NHL. Plus, the more Borks we can have in the NHL level, the better off the Colorado Avalanche will be. Oh, of course. Well, it's everyone's dream to have a a Bork, Bork, Burke line, so. Yeah. I don't don't know how you you can not want to see the Swedish chef line. (laughs) But I, you know, that it just in the big picture, that's that's showing that, you know, what they're doing in San Antonio for the first time ever, is translating, uh, the way that you, you would design it to do. So, and it really t- hasn't mattered who it's been so far. I mean, the calls from San Antonio have not been black holes. Yeah, you know, they've all been reasonable at minimum. Right. And I'll take that a step further. Is as you might have heard, there have been a lot of injuries in San Antonio, and they've had to call up a lot of guys. You know, not only from the Eagles, but from all around the ECHL. And those guys have stepped in and been able to be effective in the the Rampages system. Right. So, you know, first of all, you know, I, I'm really getting the impression that Eric Veuze is a, is a very good teacher. Um. But also I'm getting the impression that this system can be effective when you get people that are willing to play it. All right. Um, I, for one, didn't notice a whole lot of Gabriel Bork, which is what you want, honestly. Um, And then we move on to the game against Dallas, where I want to ask you specifically, Earl, about Rocco Grimaldi, because I know that he's played a pretty prominent role with San Antonio, and I wanted to see how you thought uh, his game translated to NHL speeds and power? Um, I mean, you know, he kind of got cartwheeled one time when he was hitting somebody. And, you know, I mean, he's 5'6". That's going to happen. But, you know, it wasn't kind of like, I don't know, you saw some guys like Agazino and Colin Smith in the past just get tossed around out there. And that's not what happened with Rocco. So, yeah, I mean, he can hang at that level. You know, yeah, he might. You know, I, I, I wouldn't say he was that effective yesterday. Um, you know, I think he would be a lot more effective given, you know, a couple of games to mesh with teammates and whatnot. Um, but you know, he went from being the top scorer in San Antonio, came up and and hung out on the second line for at least a period or two, and you know, he didn't look bad. Didn't get a lot of time in the third period, of course. None really. Um. But what I what I saw from Rocco Grimaldi personally was um, he has I I said this on Twitter he has two speeds they are hurry and hard yeah and he pretty much doesn't let up yeah at any point he is always chopping at something which those are skills that translate to the NHL exactly you know even if the scoring doesn't at the same rate. Yeah, I mean, that's honestly, that's a lot of what the Avalanche are lacking right now is is guys that are going to be first on pucks and that are going to be in position 
uh, using their speed to be where they're supposed to be. And that's, you know, that's not happening at the NHL level right now, unfortunately. Uh, particularly in the bottom six. Particularly in the bottom six, but they're also lacking speed in the top. I mean, how many times have we seen the Avalanche get a breakout with the McKinnon line on and McKinnon and Rantanen break in and it's like two on three or something and then another defenseman joins the play before Rene Bork makes it? Yeah. I mean, he's there. Like All of Bork's offense is coming from springing the play forward and then tipping shots later, but he's not going to be able to tip any shots if he's in the back of the play. Yeah, yeah, I don't believe physics work that way. Be That'd be a really tough though. tip. <laughs> We're going to shoot it backwards, and you're going to deflect it in from over there. Hey, if anybody can do it, it's Renee Bork. I think that's called a one-timer, Joe. Nope. That's <laughs> <laughs> a, a tip goal. Yeah, I mean, you know, Bork's strengths are all in static offense when, when it's all set up. I mean, he's not going to help you in transition one bit, and... So that's what that line's going to be. Exactly. That's why I don't understand that line. I mean, who do you replace him with, though? <sighs> you See, don't. And that's where we come back to my old problem, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is, well, uh, you could do Gregor Aiko. He's kind of spending time on the Duchesne line, though. Uh, well, hmm, you can do Gregor I mean, is really slow. I mean, he's always trailing the play. All right. Well, then you can do, uh, I guess you can do John Mitchell. Oh, oh no! Yeah. This is where we've come to. I think you've forgotten his middle name, which is zero points. He got one. No, just they kidding. They stole just it back. <laughs> that is noteworthy. We're now on like eleven months of no points from John Mitchell, and he got one. And the NHL said, "You can't have nice things, John." Yeah. Which, we should be fair, I think he had a large part in that goal going in. <laughs> it just uh, didn't involve him touching the puck. Yeah. But if I, we want to talk about usage and lines, let's let's talk about John Mitchell on the power play. Nope. Oh, do we have to? I understand what Bednar was doing last night, and he was perfectly right that, that Frankenlein, he put out, you know, the Iggy, Duchesne, McKinnon, everybody who's good on the team all on, on power plays all in one place at one time, he's right. They didn't do anything. And then, then he was just rolling with like third and fourth lines after that. You know, I'm sure he's just as frustrated as we are. Nothing is working. So you may as well just roll regular lines. Do you think that we've had such turnover, such a frequent turnover in the pairings, the lines, the power play setup that maybe it's working against the team a little bit? You mean this year or just over the past few years? Well, particularly this year. Uh, I mean, if something's working, how long do you keep beating yourself over the head with it? Right. But I wonder if we're not giving it enough time to gel sometimes. I mean, these lines don't seem to have much of a shelf life, you know, when they're not being effective. And maybe they're just not giving... They're not being given a chance to improve. I just, I, I think the first unit that he puts out there looks sort of good on paper, but I think it's extremely flawed on the ice. Mm -hmm. Anything with Jerome McGinley on the point is never going to be good. I think Tyson Berry is not doing well at the point at all. Not remotely. He's doing so, really good at hitting shins, even if he has to shoot wide to do it. 
So there you are. You're trying to run everything through the point, and you've got two guys who suck back there. So, you know, whether it's Miko and Mac and Duchesne down low or, or you know, Colborne and Bork and Como, um, you know, that's just – it's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he's been flopping around the wrong things. I mean, just take Aginlaw off the power play altogether and take Barry off the power play altogether and just see what happens. I mean, Weirkoch is actually pretty good the, uh, last night on the power play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's not that surprising. Been good all year. Yeah, he's, he's had a solid year from the point. Yeah. And then you, you look at a guy like uh, like Francois Beauchemin, who's still got a heavy shot, but he's just... He can't keep the puck in the zone. No. That's, that's Iggy's problem, too. They're, they're kind of interchangeable because they, they have the same flaws. And he, well, but, but Beauchemin is different, too, because he keeps doing this thing that I've never seen him do before where he just kind of creeps you know what I mean one of the uh, goals against on Saturday happened last night because he like there are three abs right around the crease and he just kind of creeps in and then tries to get it in there and then obviously it doesn't make it because if there's three abs there's three stars and it bounces out and there's an odd man rush the other way because now your slowest defenseman has crept down to the half wall <laughs> yeah that can't be his role on the power play. And well, this was five on five, but like... Oh, right. He's... Just... But yeah, I mean, the, the the big flaw that I see with a lot of the Avs defensemen right now is they're really poor at keeping the puck in the zone. I mean, Boschman is horrible at it. And he was horrible last year, even when he was playing good. Not as bad as Nick Holden, but still, I mean, that was just something on the left side. You're just always seeing that puck come flying out of the zone, like, oops, you know. And, yeah. I mean, that's and just any kind of rally you're on. Yeah, as poor as Tyson Berry's been this year at just about everything else, he has been good at keeping the puck in. Yes. Yeah. You know, Eric Johnson, I believe, is also effective in that role. But so, Avalanche have really, stud- really struggled. Johnson just makes it look so easy. Yep. Because like, he's, he's got that long reach where he's just going to be able to, to grab the puck up. Or he's just in a, in a better predictive position to where he doesn't have to scramble for it. Yeah, I mean... EJ, I mean, you know, it's pointless to talk about EJ because he's gone. But, you know, Weirkosh is good at that. Tootin can be good sometimes at that. And the five seconds that we got to see Eric Jelena on the power play last night, the jury's still out. Jelena has just been so underwhelming for me. I don't even know. Let's, we'll, we'll just make the, the topic into defenseman now. Eric Johnson's out for six to eight weeks with a broken fibula, which is the bone behind the shin bone. And he uh, got that blocking a shot on the penalty kill. I think it was a Sagan shot, which means it probably came at him at about a trillion miles an hour. And uh, he caught it off the off the ankle. It was the dumbest thing in the world, too. He turned his side to it. I, I just You're looking at it, and you're like, don't do that. And it just uh, it hit him right where there are no pads. Yep. And so. he went straight down and then face-planted, and I went, uh-oh. Yeah. And then he finished the shift for, I mean, he he was still out there for about 30, 40 seconds. It was On incredible. one foot, yeah. <coughs> it wasn't as visibly gruesome as the time that Ryan O'Byrne got his face zipped open and finished the shift. But, <laughs> but it was probably much more painful. Yeah. Um, that couldn't have felt good. So Eric Jelena has, has kind of started reminding me in a really unfortunate way of our old friend Brad Stewart, which is that regardless of what options he has, he's just throwing the puck wherever it may go. 
<laughs> like, oh, the puck's here. I don't want this fling. Yeah. What's this? You don't want it. The, the, the best example I can think of from that against Dallas was it was a, the uh, Stars bring the puck in kind of into the near corner, and he lays a nice hit on the guy, kind of flattens him from behind, sort of. It's not like a big hit, but it's a nice one. The puck comes loose, and he, instead of doing anything with it, just slaps it around the boards around behind the net where Dallas <clears throat> is waiting to take it again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That turns into a scoring chance. Like, have some poise on the puck, man. That, to me, just looks like a player that isn't getting any playing time. I mean, that's the sort of thing that happens when you're thrown into game speed and you're not used to game speed. I just, I don't, I, I think he has pretty poor awareness of what's going on in the ice, too. It's, uh, you know, I, I don't know if they're planning on using him, you know, now that EJ's out, if they're planning on using him full time or not, but it's just, it, it, it just seems like he panics with the puck too much. And it, it just, even if he had some skills, they just can't translate because, you know, he just can't make the right decision. Right. And, uh, I mean, the, the team are likely to call up a defenseman and, uh, that doesn't mean that they're going to, you know, play them. They could just roll 60 and not call up anybody. We saw Patrick do that a lot. Um, despite everyone complaining about what if someone gets injured in warm-ups, what are you going to do? You're screwed. Um, but what it comes down to is, is anybody from who's playing defense in San Antonio going to be better than the six guys that the Avs have up right now? Yeah, I mean, I think Siemens and Golubev would be Better than Jelena. No, Siemens is a familiar name for Avs fans. I don't think uh, nearly as many have heard of uh, of Golubev. I don't know how you say that. Golubev. Golubev. There you go. Um, yeah, uh, the Avs traded for him earlier this week. They traded Ryan Stanton, who you might remember from camp. Um, he's a he was an like a, a mid twenties defenseman who played a bunch of time in Vancouver. But he got hurt in San Antonio and hadn't played for a while. But I guess Columbus took him anyway and gave us Cody Golubev, who's a right-handed D, which is something fun because he's now the third one in the entire professional organization. Um, but he's more of a puck mover. Um, I watched him last night for the first time. You know, he's he's pretty good. Um, at the AHL level, I don't know how that's going to translate to playing in the NHL. He's, uh, he's played for Nolan Pratt before, so he's got a handle on the system and knows the coaches. So, you know, we'll see how that works out. I, I think he's probably going to be the, the, the guy that's getting called up. Um, you know, we'll find out, but I'd, I'd say he's more than likely one of the reasons that Jell and I was waived the other day, but I don't what is know. his contract situation? I haven't looked that up yet. Golly Beff. Uh huh. He's a, I think he's UFA. If, if not, he's RFA, but he's, he's, I think he's 27. So it's probably UFA at the end of the year. Mm. He's on a one way 750 K deal. Right. So you'd have to wave him again. You were to send him back down. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's, he's waiver eligible. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't think they were just looking for any old defenseman for San Antonio. I think they were looking for this guy to maybe come up and play for the Avs after a little while because I don't think they were real happy with with Jelena in general. So, 
I, I, I don't find it surprising at all if he ends up in Colorado maybe for the rest of the season. Well, they're already when uh, – well, Johnson will be back in February. When, the, when everyone's healthy, they already have 7 Do you think they keep 8? Um, I, you know, if they're, I mean, it's so hard to say, like, you know, can he outplay two guys between now and then? Maybe, you know, if he does, I'm sure they'll keep him. Um, you know, given, given the way the team's playing lately, I'm not sure that we're not going to see some player movement once New Year's passes and teams start getting antsy. So, you know, that's. We'll we'll give him a couple games to see how he does. Maybe you know, maybe he's like, aha, this this is the guy we've needed. <laughs> and they'll go on a five game win streak and nullify yeah. everything we felt the past week. I don't know if it'll nullify everything we felt. <laughs> 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 have you ever met a sports fan? What have you done for me lately? Just just let me re- remind you of uh, of the week. Deep <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think this guy could turn out to be a right-handed Weirkosh for you know, and for all the. I'd good... take one of those right now. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I'm interested to see what happens. I, I, I bet it does happen, and happens pretty quickly for this road trip. So, um, as we continue to look back at this week for some masochistic reason, um, do we have any stars to mention? I would like I... to nominate the guy who opened the door to the penalty box. <laughs> uh, I'll put people Sam who swept there. the ice, you know, maybe. Yeah, you got to give a star to a first NHL goal, especially yeah. one as spectacular as that one. Yeah. I mean, the, the broadcast, his mom crying, his girlfriend crying, you know, I mean, it was a great moment. Great moment. In, in, a, in a trash week, it was a great moment. Yep, we didn't have a lot of good things to feel good about. Well, there's one. There's one. And, um, the, se- the second, third star go to, and, hmm. Who specifically would you like to scratch this week? Oh, I just nominate Tyson Berry first and foremost. God, is that frustrating? Yeah. Just be better. You know, at least early in the season, he was kind of alternating being terrible and really, really good. Now we're not seeing that alternation at all. It's just terrible. 24 7, round the clock, terrible. I'll nominate, I'll nominate Carl Soderberg for being demoted to the fourth line and look like he's looking like he's fine with that. That's not good. That's not the reaction you need out of a veteran. Yeah. I don't know what's up there, but they're you know when when JB keeps saying passengers, he's kind of one of the first guys you you think of. Yeah. Yeah. You can all see it in his eyes as he's saying passengers. Like American for Soderberg. Yeah, I I think we all do kind of agree on that, but there is that word passengers is kind of loaded. It's ready for you to project whoever you want on that onto it. 
whoever the, <laughs> whoever you think isn't keeping up, that's who you're going to call the passenger. Right. It is evergreen. Yeah. It's a good all-purpose insult. Yeah. So you can you can just refer to them vaguely without throwing any of your players under the bus, and whoever the fans have the pitchforks out for that day, they're just going to fill in that face. However, I, I do disagree with maybe the pertinence of that statement or the accuracy of it. I mean, doesn't uh, being labeled a passenger infer that somebody is driving? <laughs> I mean, or is this bus just in neutral and, you know, rolling down a hill? You can still be a passenger while it's rolling down the hill, even if True. the bottom of the hill is just a pond. Maybe they're on a train and the engineer jumped off. These are good metaphors. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, um, we can nominate a lot of scratches this week. You know yeah. who also wasn't very good, which is Calvin Pickard, which was a little disappointing. And, uh, you know, we've had some really good analysis on the website this week. And one of our contributors mentioned that he hasn't been good at home. Which the Avalanche haven't been good at home, so funny how that works, huh? Funny how that works. When have the Avalanche been good at home? Because it seems like as long as I've been uh, doing this show and writing about the team, which was back when I had time for that, um, like there's just every year it's why aren't the team any good at home? Yeah, even the year they had 112 points, they weren't. They were, you know, they weren't 112 points worth of good at home. I'm just uh, going through the NHL standings right now, and there are some teams that have a real home ice advantage, and <laughs> the Avalanche are decidedly not good at home at all. They're I not mean, on that list. <laughs> the Rangers are 10-4 and one. That is a home ice advantage. No yeah, wonder in first the place. Sh- right. Look at the Sharks from last year. They could not win at home at all in the beginning of the year. So, yeah. God, uh, Montreal is 12-1-1. One and one. and the I mean, poor 5-1 and one on the road. <laughs> but that's fine. 500 on the road is okay. They've played 14 home games and 10 road games. Okay, schedule maker. Right. That'll come back around, of course, but okay, schedule maker. Let's see. Arizona's five, five, and one. Why? That's the second worst team at home. The Calgary's five, seven, zero. Why? Why are they so bad at home, though? I mean, is it the goofy high school uniforms with the Cubs logo? Is it the horrible goal song? Or I mean, you know, what is it? I don't know. It's like that scene in the the movie Tin Cup where Cheech Marine, you know, tells good old Tin Cup to change everything about what he's doing turn his hat around put your change in the other pocket you know (laughs) put your weight on your other foot do everything the opposite of what you've been doing you know if not to create a change to at least um, project the change enough in your head to make you believe it (laughs) like the avalanche just need to change everything about their presentation starting (laughs) with the goal song starting with the goal song (laughs) Because, I mean, how many people have we seen on Twitter this week complaining about the goal song because when, when the Avalanche score, they don't know what to do? It's like, yeah. you can't sing along to this. You can't really clap along to it. You just kind of stand up and cheer. Then you're like, um, okay, what? now what do I do? 
So I'll tell like a good little story here because my friend that I had for a long time is no longer with the organization, but he kind of shot me a text message one afternoon saying, Hey, we're changing the goal song before next year. And this is uh, before the last one. He's like, do you have any like good ideas you can throw at me? And you know, my immediate response is let me think about it for a bit. And then when I sat down to think about it, I realized that goal songs are hard. Yeah. A lot oh, yeah. more difficult than everybody thinks it is. And it's for the reasons you're talking about. It needs to be something you can cheer along to. And a lot of music is not constructed that way. Right. It's it, Even if it's something that you definitely want to groove along to, that doesn't mean it's going to keep up the energy in the building. Right. What I suggested to him is the Avalanche should have contracted even like a local band to submit something. See, now you're talking my language, because this is how I fix the goal song. Uh-huh. I look around the Pepsi Center, and what do I see? Empty seats? The empty well, seats. But, okay, but who's, who's in them? <laughs> what, who's white in the people em- from ages 45 to 55. So who do you commission to do the goal song? Bad religion. Journey. <laughs> Dude, you're, just, you're kicking wait, wait, Gen wait. X when we're down. That's just not fair. There is nothing that white people like more than singing along to a Journey song, with a close second honorable mention to John Bon Jovi. Mm-hmm. Oof. Oh, God. So I'm calling either one of them. Yeah. I mean, I think the Dallas Stars had it right. Didn't they contract Pantera to make their song, which is a local Dallas band? <laughs> it's one of the most disastrous goal songs in the league, but you know what? It works. Yeah. Yeah, and you know it's the right idea too. It's I like the idea of a homegrown celebration. And it's very clear what you do to that song. So what they get string cheese to make the song? Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats, man, son of a bitch. <laughs> Those are my boys. I don't know. Maybe they can. Maybe they can get the hook up through uh, through one of AJ's friends. Get the Windermere's on it. <laughs> Yeah, so whatever it is. I mean, I, I you know, I, I think all the stuff this week with "What do you do with your hands?" is very telling. I mean, it's just that's that song is not working. I think you do a hand jive. Is that what you do? <laughs> the Macarena. Can you do the Macarena to a song that's not the Macarena? You can, but do you want to? <laughs> Depends on how much of a fool you decide to be in that moment. You um, know. I don't fucking care what song it is. I will do the dance to it if the Avalanche starts scoring goals. How about that? I will do the Macarena. (laughs) Do you hear that, Avalanche? I will do the Macarena. I will pay all the money in the world to go sit in those seats and do the Macarena on camera if you start scoring goals in droves. That's what they need is a Macarena cam. Lion King Cam didn't bring him any goals last night. Let's do the Macarena Cam. Hey, Macarena. That's like the 90s thing in the world, and when we're Colorado, good. <laughs> oh, God. So, um, if they would stop shooting from so far outside and start shooting from farther inside, maybe they would score more goals. And then we could get used to this um, catastrophic goal song. What's going on? Why are the shots from so far away? Because they like playing a perimeter game instead of going to the dirty areas. 
I I kept watching in the third period last night, and it just it was killing me. There would be no one anywhere near the net. Like I remember one time Iggy was sort of the guy in front of the net, and he was out between the circles. And I'm just like, don't don't even bother shooting it because the goalie can see it just fine. Thank you. I mean, if if they don't start getting some traffic in front of the net with all these perimeter shots, then they're just they won't go in, and there won't be anyone there to get a rebound. Right, and you're also not creating space on the perimeter for players like Rantanen, Grigorinko, and Duchesne to make their magic happen. Yeah. I mean, you got to draw the defense towards the middle. And I hate using basketball analogies, but it's appropriate here. You need somebody in the high post or the low post on every play. Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, again, A.J. Greer did that fine when he came up. I mean, even Rocco was going to the net. You know, like Gabe Bork was going to the net. I mean, these are things that the, you know, not that the Rampage ever score goals either, but, you know, at least they do get a little traffic going in front there. I mean, that's, you know, it's sort of been ingrained inside of them now that that's how you have to play it. Um, It is telling that the Rampage, as soon as they're called up, are that player to go to the net every time. And it's been every one of them. It's interesting. Um, especially given that Joe Colborn had a hat trick on opening night, which was born out of standing in the crease on the power play. And has he been there since? <laughs> One time when he ran into the goalie. And then I mean, when Rene Borg gets his goals, they're tips from kind of close to that area. Yeah. A little bit higher out, but close to that area. But how often does he go there? Or how often does he get the opportunity playing on a line with Ranton and McKinnon? That's who, also true because that's a rush line that is often one and done. It's not their game. I mean, they're not passing back to the defense to for them to take shots. I mean, those are the players that need to be taking shots. Well, also, I'm, all right, look at this. You, you look at where Miko and Matt Duchesne like to work, and it's it's on the right side below the goal line. And it seems like there are many times each game when those guys have the puck where they could be feeding someone in front and there's no one in front. And it's just, it, it drives me nuts because, I mean, you set up a good play, but it's only half of it. You know, there's there's no finisher sitting there waiting to, to put the puck in. And I I don't know why that is. You know, I don't yeah, know. At this point, can we, like, determine it's a systematic problem, perhaps? It's something that may need to change from the new coach's system that's possible it's also possible that they're supposed to be doing it and they're not it's hard to tell which right i'm pretty sure they're supposed to be doing it and they're not because everything seems focused on funneling the puck there but there's it's like that they're shorthanded and there's a guy that's missing so um (laughs) that is a great way to describe it yeah the avalanche have just appeared shorthanded for two weeks now. Yeah, and I think that a big factor in someone crashing the net is get well soon, Gabe Landeskog. Oh, please get well. We were talking about this a little bit before the show. Uh, Obviously, Landeskog is one of the team's crash-the-net kind of guys. I mean, we saw how many goaltender interference penalties he took as a rookie. Um, And obviously, we don't want that back, but... We do need some net presence, and Landis Cog often offers that. Um, he His last game was against the Kings on the 15th of November, and when you look at the uh, Avalanche underlying kind of numbers, 
you see literally all of them peak in their rolling averages right then. Specifically, if you look at the rolling expected goals for percentages, they go from 55% then to 44% now, which is a humongous drop. 44% expected goals for percentages are around where they were under Patrick Waugh. And that is a number that had steadily increased throughout the season, just up, 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 up. Even though the shots weren't falling, every once in a while you have your cold streaks. But with Landeskog gone, the expected goals have not been there. So just for the layperson, when you're talking about a 55% expected goals for, that means the Avalanche have a good percentage of chances to score more than the opponent or, or what? That expected goals for is a, a number that it's it starts in shot attempts, obviously, um, and then it gets a little bit more beyond that. It goes on where did the shot come from? What kind of shot was it? Um, is it a rebound chance? Is it a rush chance? Um, you know, is it in close? Is it far away? These kinds of things. It's a little bit more predictive of results than Corsi is, and. Um, with Landeskog gone, the extreme drop in goals for percentage indicates two things. Uh, one being that they're not that they're getting outshot again, which is also happening, and two being that the shots they are getting are from farther out. They're not as good as shots. Yeah, he, he's definitely the grease that makes everything work in that top six, and it's so glaringly obvious that I can't believe anybody can make another argument. Yeah, if you look at Micah's charts where with the shot locations, um, it, you know it, it, it's a lot of perimeter play like that. But he's the, just very good at getting the puck down low with possession, and you know, uh, even through the neutral zone, he's just better at getting the puck with possession into the offensive zone than any other player the Avalanche have. Yeah, but I, I mean, I I think when you see all those perimeter shots and you don't see as many close to the goal, that means that they're taking those perimeter shots and there used to be, or there should be, someone in front of the net <clears throat> to be able to handle rebounds or you know at least keep the play going because a lot of times now you see those perimeter shots and you know, they go in the far corner and get cleared out or whatever. So it's... You know, One and it's, done. Yeah, exactly. It just it's, it's not allowing the play to continue in the offensive zone when there isn't someone or someone's right around the net to take care of <clears throat> the puck after it gets shot. To so, clean up the trash, as it were. Yeah. But, I, I mean, you have to think that the staff is showing the team this and being like, see, there's no one there. There needs to be a guy there. And that's that's something that they have to work on in practice. And that's not translating somehow. And, you know, and that's the big mystery. Why is that not translating? Right. It's funny when you get one player out of the lineup like Landeskog, who, again, we've determined makes everything work. And when he's not doing these things on the ice that we're describing that he frequently does, everybody else loses track. You know, he is the captain of this team. He's very influential in how they play. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, it's infectious. You know, he starts going to the net and then everyone else does. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully for not too much longer. We hear he's going to be on the road trip. That would be encouraging. 
I mean, the other day, and that's great news. I, I hate that it was reported that he had a Charlie horse. <laughs> can we can we not call that like a bone bruise or something? That doesn't infer that he's a weakling that isn't playing <laughs> by right. choice. I mean, that's a Charlie horse is what wakes you up because your leg is stiff. That's well, Forsberg had a Charlie horse that kept him out for months. Right. <laughs> it's just such a bad name for an injury. Yeah. yeah, it's infantilizing a problem that, you know, a tough player in your team has. Gabriel Landeskog's not missing time unless he needs to. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's this is a dude that scores an overtime goal in, in the middle of January while he's got the flu. Like regular season in Anaheim random game. Now play with the flu. All good. <laughs> Secret biological weapon, Gabe Landeskog. <laughs> but anyway, um, I mean, there's there's an, another secondary uh, discussion, I think is the positive word for what's going on, around some of these underlying numbers, kind of now, as we record, going on around the internet, like, people are losing their shit. Yes, they are. Yeah, with not a lot of uh, rational explanation. No, maybe uh, maybe you Which... want to uh, give this the introduction that it deserves, because I've only kind of caught the very edge of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have what I've described prominent voices in the Denver hockey media are telling people who follow the team from a statistical standpoint, that's, <laughs> uh, that they were wrong, that they are wrong. I mean, Patrick Waugh was not the problem. Uh, playing bad hockey and winning is better than playing better hockey and losing. And we're not going to name and shame because that's not nice. Nope. Um, but, like, here's here's... As a reasonably numbers-minded person, here's my response to that, which is, uh, that's pretty much the entire response. Because if you can find me one analytics person that thought the abs were, I mean, good, then I would be very surprised. Better, improving, sure, but, I mean, it's not easy, it's not hard to improve from historically bad. Yeah, I mean, at the beginning of the season, we decided if their shot differential improved three to four percent it'd be amazing and you know at this point in the season it's been even better than that yeah it's been it's not it's still not good it's not where you want it but it's no in a respect respectable range it's not it's no longer historically bad no you're, you're not having 10 game spans where you get outshot 65 to 35 right you know, let's put this in the proper context, too. You know, I follow hockey in a number of different ways. We have to write for different people on our website. And we, you know, try to create arguments that a lot of different people can relate to. We are not 100% statistics all the time. And there are people a lot more adept to providing these arguments than I am. But this isn't difficult to understand that taking shots are necessary to scoring goals. <laughs> and suppressing shots are necessary to keeping the puck out of the net. This isn't difficult. 
This is very simple that everybody who is writing or doing radio shows about hockey in town should be able to understand very easily. I wish that, uh, I wish two things. For one, I wish that Corsica's uh, Corsi 4 per 60 rolling average chart zoomed in a hell of a lot more. <laughs> because, Bust out your magnifying glass, huh? Because it's like zoomed out from 50 to minus 100, and you're not going to have minus 100 CF60. It doesn't work that way. You can have zero. That's the minimum. Um, so it's kind of hard to see fluctuations. But it looks like they still have been steadily increasing even throughout like this little span where they would be continuing to take you know more shots at 5 on 5. And the CA60 graph has the same problem but it's after a, a dip in the middle of the season after they split up Sidorov and EJ that's kind of started to recover as well. Mhm. Mm so I mean I wish that we could just come to an agreement that shots are good. Some shots are better than others. Shoot. But there is no bad shot. Yes. It's not, just, it, it's not only that. It, it's, I mean, the fact that they're improving with guys that probably aren't very good at generating shots or suppressing them um, is showing that the system works. And it's also highlighting the guys that you know, don't suppress shots well or don't generate shots well. And I, I think that's part of what this season is going to be all about when it's all said and done. You know, whether they make the playoffs or not might not be the most important thing, but, you know, what they need to find is a way to craft a roster that can take advantage of the way they're playing now. And they're, you know, they're square pegs, obviously, and some of them are going away just because their contracts are up. But, um, you know, I, I, I really hope that with the management's, you know, buying into analytics and whatnot, that they're starting to look at this team and say, you know, this guy makes the, the team work and, and this guy really doesn't. And, you know, we need to get more guys that make the team work. Earl, you are dead on. And this is anybody who's knocking analytics and chooses not to understand it needs to hear this in that using utilizing analytics won't necessarily make you better. It's going to bring clarity to your team <laughs> and it's going to highlight the players that are and are not working. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you can say like, Oh man, PA Parento, he was awesome. You know, I mean, he scored yada, yada, many goals, but you know, if, if the underlying numbers are bad or show that, that when he's on the ice, and I know he's actually better at analytics than this, but you know, let's say a guy like that shows that that he's not good at suppressing shots. That when he's on the ice, the the team gets outshot two to one. Then he's not helping, and you need to find guys that are going to help the system work. And the Avalanche have been so passive over the last you know ten fifteen years about changing things until too late. Mm -hmm. And I I really hope that's something that they're going to be a little more active in in saying like you know before this gets to be a big problem let's make a, a couple of changes and they don't have to be big changes either that's another thing they've shied away from is making incremental gains they're like well you know if this guy's not going to win us a cup why bother even acquiring him bad argument 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's still kind of a balancing act, though, because, I mean, if you've got a guy like Steven Stamkos who can, who can score 50 goals in a season but gets outshot more often than not, then that's, you're, you are going to be like, I'll take the Steven Stamkos scoring. Right, but and if you've got a guy like John Mitchell who has zero points but drives play forward, say seventy percent of the time, then that's someone that you're going to want on your team in, a, in the you know on the bottom half. It's a balancing act. Or maybe he has value to get you something else. <laughs> maybe, maybe so. I'm, and I'm not saying that Steven Stamkos is a minus possession player. I don't actually know whether he is or not. I'm not saying that John Mitchell is plus seventy because he's not. Yeah. No, but I mean, there's there's been a few guys on the waiver wire this year that could have helped this team, and I know you know it's like dumpster diving on the waiver wire is, you know, you really don't know what you're getting. But you know, when you've got some guys that really aren't working, you know, and you can make some smaller deals to sort of shuffle around the bottom six and the depth and the the role players on your team. Um, I mean, that's really going to help a lot more than it seems like. I mean, it seems like you're just trading 10 goals a season for eight goals a season or, or either way around. But, you know, you really have to start finding guys that are going to work inside this system. Yeah. And, and as we bring up, bringed, hello, as we brought up the passenger thing, um, like right after, right after the, uh, the passengers press conference, I kind of, had a quick glance at the forward roster, and I came up with passengers on three of four lines. Um, the bottom six was five passengers and Blake Como. <laughs> because I didn't look at passenger as someone who's just, you know, kind of going along with the flow and not really, you know, not killer instincting it. I looked at, like, I interpreted it in my own way, which is not playing it at an NHL level. Yeah. Help requiring someone else to drive them, not because they don't have drive, but because they are just not driving for whatever reason, or they are not drivers inherently. Something like that, yeah. So I mean, it ended up with something like you know Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, bottom six, and then Matt Duchesne, top nine if you're lucky with Krigorenko, passenger, and then passenger, passenger, Como, passenger, 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 like. The problem is their roster still, and yeah. and what and when they're using the system, and there's times they're not using the system, and that's where I'm heading next. But the system can can work as well as it's gonna work if you if your players aren't very good. Like then the, the analytics doesn't matter. They're they're not gonna be good in any system. You're you don't, you don't have a third scoring line. You barely have two. The goals aren't going to come, man. But that brings me to my theory, which is that um, I've noticed throughout this homestand that every time the game starts, the, the avalanche are bad. And I know <laughs> that that's a bold theory, and not everyone's going to agree with that. <laughs> but I have also noticed that, when, that while the avalanche are starting their games badly, they are... Ten times more scrambly. They are completely dis disorganized defensively. Um, when they enter the zone offensively, there's not a whole lot of team play going on. It's a lot of 
I'm going to move through three guys and get a shot off. Um, it's a lot of around the world kind of stuff. My mostly serious theory is are the Avalanche starting the games trying to do too much individually? Because, and, and the thing that, that drove me to this idea was that, that goal from Dallas, that first one, where it came in and Varley saved it, and it was a pretty big rebound, but mostly harmless, until three Avalanche players skated in trying to get it and all kicked it and it went in. Yeah. And and that's I, something that's going to happen, too, when you've got players who are frustrated with results, you know? I think your first reaction is, oh shit, I need to take this game over. I gotta put it on my back. Yeah, I mean, I I think there's a lot of guys that are trying to do too much out there um, in their own way. I know it may not seem like it. I, I you know, there, there are guys, I think if Joe Colborn was trying his absolute hardest, he'd still look like he's floating around just because he's gigantic. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think there are a lot of guys that are just gripping the sticks and, and trying to do things that they're, you know, they go beyond what the coaching staff is teaching. They're just not being disciplined at the beginning of games because, you know, they just feel a lot of pressure to, to perform and it's not happening. This is going to be the game that we don't have a bad start and I'm going to be the one to get that first goal. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a great mindset. That's a great yeah, mindset. It is. With and, moderation. And, I love JB, but he's really off base with that first goal being really important all the time. And I, I think the more he talks about that, that it, that's, that's just not helping. Psychologically, this team is in a bad place because there's this onus on them to score that first goal. Not play good hockey within a good hockey system, but to put the puck in the net. Yeah. I, I mean, their, their goals really need to simplify to... You know, if if you're in your own zone, your goal is to get it to the other end of the rink, and and that's just about it. That's all you really need to think about. And Generating shot totals, because as Sam Henley has proved, quality doesn't matter. They still yeah. sometimes go in. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. You're you're gonna get laughers, but you know, it, you just really have to have that mentality that if you're in your own end, that's bad, and you need to get out of there. And I, I just I think people are just thinking like I gotta score a goal or we gotta win this game and then just you know the the goals are are a little large for what you need to be thinking about shift by shift. They're thinking about results instead of process. Yeah. And then they then they do get the puck back in their own zone. Maybe it's Francois Boschman who picks it up and Nathan McKinnon says go go go. And yeah. Boschman's going oh I don't have anybody close to me so this is going off the glass. <laughs> yep. And now you're defending again. Yeah, because we've seen the sort of breakdown of, you know, the the five man unit and puck support and all that. That's really been happening a lot in the last you know five games, which they've all lost. Yeah. So, you know, it it just stands to reason that, you know, what whatever mentally is causing them to think that way, it's causing them to break down and and not translate what they're working on in practice to the game and it's just killing them. It's just such a familiar thing for me as someone who plays games a lot, plays like, I don't mean at a competitive level, but in a somewhat competitive environment, which is uh, what I call the solo queue problem. You just, you don't, you don't know your teammates if you, if you're on your own playing games, so you don't really trust them (laughs) because 
I mean, you don't play at a high level, so you can't trust them to be very good, because you're not very good. So they're, if they're at your level, then you can't trust them to be better than you, and you make mistakes, so they're probably going to make mistakes. But what it comes down to is, eventually there, there reaches a point where your mind says, I have to do this, because they aren't. And then if that's your starting mindset, then you're not playing as a team anymore. Right, yeah. you're playing one on five. And that's what I call the solo queue problem. You you might see me tweet about that all the time. That's what I mean. Is it someone just trying to put the team on their back? And they don't really need to, but it's because they feel like they do. Right. And putting the team on your back is great, but trying to is not. Yeah, I mean, this is all you know, a product of yeah, a lot of media speculation that players aren't trying hard. I don't buy that argument. I don't see how anyone can discern that from on ice results I mean yes they're bad but is that the reason they're bad I mean are the avalanche not trying man it's just lazy it's just absolutely lazy analysis you don't become one of the how many players are on an NHL team well, like there's like something like 500 players in the league you don't become one of the top 500 players in the world by not trying right if you, you have can, a, it's because you're so incredibly skilled that how hard you try doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. There's a baseline try-hard level that they all have to reach in order to get to this level. Yeah. You don't reach the elite skill without it. Right. And your veteran defenseman banging a stick on the ice and yelling at people isn't going to make them try harder either. I mean, these are grown men with, you know, a job. <laughs> I mean, their motivation is going to be outside somebody yelling and banging a stick on the ice. They're prideful guys. Yeah. Their, their motivation is to not get booed off the ice. Right. I mean, do you see the look in Matt Duchesne's face after these losses? I mean, that's not a guy who isn't trying his hardest. And he's really struggled through the stretch himself. I mean, he's the type of player that a lot of people are making the argument isn't trying hard enough, isn't doing the right things in order to prepare. And, I, again, as a fan, I can't discern that. If you don't have just a binder filled with receipts and you're to, to back up your argument that someone isn't trying, I have no time for you. Right. You're, you, this is lazy analysis and it's not worth my effort to, to try to look at. Yeah. I mean, as, as much as we rag on Iggy and Colborn and, and Carl, I mean, it's not like they're out there not trying. You know? They, they may not be trying in the right way or directing their energies at their most productive, but they're, they're trying. So should we, uh, should we look at what we're going to be subjecting ourselves to in the next week? That's a great way of putting it. Next week, the team goes on the road where maybe they score goals because they don't have to worry about goal songs that confuse the crowd because they can't really sing along or clap along or anything normal. It's a four-game week starting on Tuesday back in Nashville at 6 o'clock Mountain. I'm very tired of seeing that team. On Thursday, the Az are in Boston for a five-mountain tilt with the Bruins. Then Saturday in Montreal and Sunday in Toronto. Both of those are also at five mountain. Um, all games are on altitude this week. I'm going to jump ahead of all the predictions by saying they will 100% lose in Montreal because if they can't score goals, they're not going to start against Carey Price. Hockey night in Canada game at the Bell Center. That, that'll be fun, but... Yeah. <laughs> hey. 
I'm actually going to go contrarian on that one. That might be the only game they win. <laughs> Just because. Maybe they called up Sam Henley for the wrong game. Yep. Maybe he gets his calculated first goal there, but if he plays against Montreal, maybe it's a calculated hat trick. They should call ah. up Henley Bork and Nantel for that game. Yeah. And Nantel <laughs> got his second goal. He's ready. He did, and that was that was his first one on a goalie, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other one was empty net, but it was hey, a great man. goal. It, it started the teddy bear toss, so that's always fun. Hey, that's a big one. <clears throat> um yeah, and add Greer to that too. So you know, get get all your QMJHL guys up for the the Montreal game on Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah, and then all your OHL guys up the next day just to make Don Cherry's head explode. Yeah. Oh, this is going to be a tough stretch. I mean, uh, Eric Johnson has consistently been the Avalanche's best player this year, and it's not even remotely close. Um, I don't see them winning more than one of these games. Yeah. They're not ready. Surprise me, Avalanche. I've been optimistic all year, and I am no longer. You know, maybe Gold Beef comes up, and he's a, a revelation or something like that. You never know. but Or maybe they just finally get over it, like, well, it just can't get any lower than this. We may as well just go out there and kill these guys and win four in a row. <laughs> I need that guy to be good. I've, I've got so many, like, nicknames and quips to make utilizing that name. <laughs> I just want to tweet about it so bad. Please be good. And, and if and if he's bad, the beef-related humor isn't going to be nice. Where's the beef? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, I may have spoiled that one. Um, so Nashville is a team that I think has put up five on Colorado, like three games running. So not not optimistic there. Um, Boston aren't great. So potentially winnable game. I don't know. Uh, Didn't they outshoot us like sixty nine to three the uh, the last time we played? Uh, nice. I don't think so though. <laughs> no, I think it was like forty to nineteen though. I don't really remember. They <coughs> they all blend together at this point. I know it was yeah. two nothing. Um, Montreal, I'm pessimistic about for reasons I've already said. And Toronto is really just going to be a a bat flip, honestly. Yeah, it's that's like, a tough game back-to-back. -back. It's it's a tough game back-to-back, -back, but Toronto are a team that have blown numerous leads this year. They can get way ahead of you and then give it all right back. Which the Avalanche are very prone to giving leads. Yeah. <laughs> I'd feel better if they scored more often, but yeah. I mean, maybe that's the kind of game where you get healthy. Yeah. Maybe you need a 8-7 to seven game in Toronto to turn things around. I mean, it's not... it's. They had kind of a struggle in the net to begin the year. Just a little bit. Kind of a small one. Um, it was bad. But it's it, it just, it's been, Toronto's been an up and down team that um, if you ever want to start playing watchable hockey, you, you need to have a strong effort against them. Yeah. I mean, they're young and fast like we could be if we started, you know, manipulating the, the roster a little bit better. And I'm, I'm not saying we could do that this year, but we could start a little bit this year, and we should kind of strive for that next year to be young and fast. But oh, It helps that their young and fast players are also ridiculously skilled. Yeah. Um, so we have dark visions of the upcoming week. Which I'm willing to modify if Gabriel Landeskog is back and effective. The and effective part is important because – 
Matt Duchesne's back from his concussion, but has he been effective? Except for one goal, right? Right. He's been more effective than, you know, he looks out there, but... True. He's, he's very perimeter. Yeah. He, he's still very stereotypical, just got over concussion. Yeah. He's, he's not... He hasn't gone full Rick Nash, but it's, it's, it's tentative. I'm, I'm going to go with we win the Montreal game, and that's it. <laughs> Montreal is due for some regression at home. 12-1-1. Yeah, that's a little crazy. Um, I, I think that they even the series, season series up with Boston, and I think that one of the two games in Canada goes to overtime. Ooh. Which I think that the Avalanche will win if it's Montreal, and that if it's in Toronto, then no one will breathe until the puck goes in. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you imagine Johnson, Duchesne, or not Johnson, shit. Not Johnson. Can you imagine Barry, Duchesne, McKinnon versus whatever three of their kids Toronto threw out? I'll put Mikael out there instead of Duchesne. Okay, so. Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, and Tyson Berry against Morgan Riley, Mitch Marner, and Austin Matthews. Yes, please. Yeah. That That's an overtime that would last 45 seconds. <laughs> I don't know who's going to score. Eight but shots for each team. <laughs> someone's going to score. Um, but um, that's next week. Any other extra bold predictions? Hmm. I don't want to. I, I don't. I don't think we bottomed out yet, but I, I think it's getting close to where things are going to start progressing. It's got it right. You can only yeah. lose so many games. Yeah, I'm, I'm bearish for about the next two or three weeks. Do you think uh, the roster changes in a significant way before that happens? I, I think roster changes are what are going to make things happen. Right. Do you see a, a trade, not necessarily of a primary piece, but a, at least a secondary piece? I think they're I, I, if they can't make a trade, I think they you know they'll explore every. I, I think right now they're exploring many ways, and I think they're still too tentative as a management group. But I, I, I think you know th this is just a a huge boulder rolling downhill, and they, they've got to do something to stop it, even if it's something small just to right. slow it down. So, you know, maybe they, maybe someone desirable comes up on waivers and they pick them up finally, you know, maybe they, maybe they get rid of someone in the depth category. Maybe they bring up some guys a little more permanently from San Antonio, but I, I think gradually we're going to start seeing some changes and, and, you know, probably by, you know, a month and a half from now, the roster is going to be enough different that things are going to start going better. They better. They better. Or else. They better. Because we're approaching unwatchable. Yep. The fan base is going to get apoplectic. That's just not going to be fun for okay. any of us. We've already got fans, <laughs> Bailey. We've already got, you know, friends that, all, that that we all interact with every day on, on Twitter, for example, are already bailing. Right. Yeah. You've got, you know, longtime contributors to Bio High Hockey, uh, you know, both from our side and the other side that just aren't as engaged right now as they used to be. That's disappointing. Yeah. 
and it's you know the the Pepsi Center's empty. I mean that you know they can't just sit here and watch this. It's not like the Rampage last spring when they didn't win a game in regulation for thirty eight days. I mean you can't just let that go that long. I mean you yeah. you got to start making some changes. Yeah, and it, and it's hard to blame anybody who checks out. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it really at this point it's it it feels to a lot of people like same shit different day. Yeah, it does. I mean, I was about to make a joke that I need to create like a, you know, just a blank uh, recap template <laughs> that pretty much starts off. Well, the avalanche started slowly again. I think we actually had that several years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I think back in 2011 we had that. <laughs> we'll have to look it up. <laughs> we'll see if it's still applicable. I, I I think that back back in those days we often had recaps that were like, well, that was bad. You really don't want to know the details. Here's the highlights. <laughs> Go ahead and talk about it. And that's the whole recap. <laughs> All right. Well, um, if those recaps ever come back, you know where you can find them. I've I've got to cut us off here. I got to go. Um, but. If those recaps come back, you know you can find them at milehighhockey.com as lo- along with the uh, all the latest abs news and updates. Whoever gets called up, whether it's gold beef or someone else. Um, beef. It's what's for the blue line. Keep, keep up with the podcast at soundcloud.com slash milehighhockeypodcast and mixcloud.com slash milehighhockeypodcast and in your favorite RSS feed catcher and in iTunes. Um, you can follow the site at milehighhockey.com at facebook.com slash milehighhockey and on Twitter on milehighhockey. And you can uh, follow me on, on Twitter. It's 2011. Follow, follow Ryan at the Mile High Hockey site. Honestly, and Earl at McKinley06. See you later. I'm just outright calling him a troll, basically. I'll have a gold beef update in the morning. Yeah, I think I'm going to go full article on this dude. On gold beef? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> on gold beef. Gold beef later, once he saves the avalanche, I'll be doing plenty of articles on gold beef. I, I don't know if you could do a whole article on him. <laughs>